Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. But also, I just like these sort of artifacts of like vintage transphobia because like transphobia today is so strategically organized in this top-down way from the right where like they have a playbook about how we're going to mobilize people around these fears. Hello, Beauty Translated listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Pod. This week, I am talking with the writer by the name of Jamie Kalis. Jamie is a contributing writer at the New York Times Magazine. He's also writing a book called The Third Person, which is a book about non-binary gender in America, which will be out in 2024. We discuss it in the interview coming up. And he also runs the trans archival history account known as sexchange.tbt on Instagram. This is how I came to know Jamie through his Instagram account and the trans archival posts that he makes as a part of his research for his book on non-binary gender in America. I wanted to talk to him about his experience researching for his book and also archiving trans history, essentially, for all of us to enjoy on the lovely Instagram. He's really fostered a great community on his Instagram page of some awesome people who just love the history. And we're here because we love our history. So please enjoy my conversation with Jamie Kalis about his Instagram page, sexchange.tbt. All right, listeners, today my guest is a writer by the name of Jamie Lauren Kalis. I came to know them through the Instagram account they run, which is at sexchange.tbt, which is an amazing archive to the trans experience and the community as it was pre and early internet. Many of the posts I have found on this page have resonated deeply with me and have even been an inspiration in the direction I'm taking the podcast. Please welcome my guest, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Carmen. Thanks so much for uh, having me on the show. So, Jamie, before we get into the Instagram account, which I love, Sex Change TBT is an awesome archive, and it has both showed me a bunch of new things that I never knew existed from our history, but it also has reminded me of some old things that I had forgotten about. So it's been a really awesome Instagram account. I love it. But can you tell us about who you are? Yeah, sure. I guess... The easiest way to get into that is to go backwards from getting into the Instagram account. So I'm running this Instagram account. I'm not like a historian or anything. I'm a journalist by training or a writer, I guess. I work at the New York Times Magazine, which is a whole nother can of worms. I'm from Pennsylvania. So like about an hour outside of Philadelphia in a town that's sort of rural, sort of suburban. The town is called Doylestown. It's like one of the places that's always on electoral campaigns, like profiled as like the quintessential swing district. So definitely like felt kind of far from cities and like didn't know gay people, but also had exposure to kind of like arts and culture and like assorted other types of freaks. Then I've been in New York since 2015 and I've lived in Chicago, LA, a couple other places. 
Tell me a little bit more about being a writer for the New York Times. Tell me a little bit more about that. You said New York Times, correct? Yeah, yeah. I write for the New York Times magazine and was doing that pre-transition and I'm still there. I'm currently on book leave working on my book. But yeah, trans stuff was like not my interest when I got into writing. Like not that it wasn't my interest, but I'm very much a generalist. I do a lot of culture stuff, celebrity profiles, things about technology. And obviously, like I am trans, but in the beginning of my transition, I was like not that interested in trans history, intercommunity discourse kind of stuff. But then as I started thinking about writing this book, and basically my book is about history and present of non-binary identity in America, I was drawn to it partly because I started getting really afraid that someone else was going to write a worse version of this book. And I was doing a lot of complaining to friends and saying, oh my God, someone's going to write this book. It's going to be for idiots. And my friends kept saying, well, why don't you write this? You like really have the skill set to do this. You're a journalist. You sort of are asking the right questions. And I said, oh my God, I'm never going to write a gender book. I don't want to be one of those people. But then the more I started thinking about the subject matter, like what I really like about trans stuff. And maybe a lot of people knew this before me, but it took me like a while to come around to it. But like trans history really overlaps with everything. So it's like, it's gender, but it's also like history of media, history of medicine, history of culture, history of the arts. So when I started looking into like, okay, like what would it mean to put this book together? I was just one delighted by like how much it overlapped with other things I had written about and the other things that I think make a good story. And also just like the depth of archival material. Obviously, there are tons of people doing really good work in trans history, but compared to all the other historical things that have ever been researched, the archive is relatively unexploited, right? Like you can still go in and find a corner that no one has really had the time or the interest in going through. So I've just become really like sucked into archival research in a way that was not really foreseen when I started working on this project at all. Yeah. And I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like the Instagram account sexchange.tbt has been a way of keeping track of the research you've been doing for this book, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, a lot of it was just like I was accumulating all this material when I was going to visit archives and like taking pictures of stuff or like using some of the online resources like Digital Trans Archive. I was just having like tons and tons of screen caps and like no one to really share them with and was becoming sort of lonely in my research. And then I started thinking like, oh, I could put this stuff online. And obviously there's like the sort of cynical like, oh, I would love to have a huge platform to promote my book. So like I I was like, this is a really good way to gather the audience. But also I just think most of the people synthesizing this material are academics. There's obviously people all over the place working in it. But I was like, oh, there's like not really a great Instagram account that's like putting this out in a way that people can really access. The negative side of that is like it really does currently reflect a lot of the biases of like the current chapters that I'm researching, right? So like a lot of what I've been working on is like trans male conferences in the late 90s, early thousands. And a lot of what I'm writing about is kind of like the whiteness of those conferences or sort of like who they did and didn't represent. So like the archival materials I'm working with kind of reflect all those biases. And when you move it from one platform to another, it's like not necessarily like I think in in the ideal vision of the Instagram account, it would be a lot more expansive. But right now it's like a side project of a different project that I'm working on. Well, maybe it's just reflective of, I guess, the limited visibility that trans people had at the time. Um, but I want to also, I want to back up to something you were talking about earlier and how when you first started journalism, how transness and trans issues weren't really like super that important to you. But it sounds like at a certain point, you it kind of like it's like your transition coincided with these interests. Do you care to talk maybe just a little bit about your own journey with your gender before we dive more into the Instagram? Yeah, and I haven't quite figured out like the good way to narrativize this because I, I lived like most of my life as like a somewhat beautiful heterosexual woman. I mean, like I dated men, I had long hair, got a blowout, like all that kind of stuff. And like somehow in the course of the past, however many years, like I've ended up being essentially a man. And when I look back, it's like I can narrativize it all these different ways. But like, I don't know, kind of was just like always felt like something was off. I had like a lot of other various journeys before this one. I spent a couple stints in the loony bin. I got sober in 2015. So like this was not my first big narrative arc of my life. And in some ways it like crept up on me as like a little bit of a surprise. At some point, I started thinking, okay, well, like, what if instead of kind of like resisting those questions, I just started following my desires and see what they yielded. So like, I very much did not set out to transition. I think I had like, things of like, okay, well, like, what if I dressed a little more this way? And then I was like, okay, well, like, do I want top surgery? Are hormones for me? And these things kind of just compounded into what in hindsight was a transition. But like, For a while, I felt very frustrated by that because it like didn't seem to be what I saw represented as the quote unquote trans narrative arc. Now I think I'm meeting a lot more people that like 
were straight women or like transitioned kind of by accident and ended up being happy. But I think I found that really alienating at the time when like back then it was very much like born in the wrong body type discourse, which was not my experience at all. And as the discourse has opened up, I think a lot more people have realized that they are not as cis as they thought they were (laughs) and that they're really a lot more trans than they thought they were. When did that journey start for you? I think I started like thinking about transition pretty seriously in like 2017 when I moved back from Los Angeles because I had just broken up with my boyfriend at the time and can't come back to New York. And it felt very much like, okay, like let's like some of these questions that have been annoying me, like it's time to just sort them out and get on with my life. And then since then, I like haven't really kept track of like when I started hormones and I had top surgery during COVID, I guess. I don't know. I'm not like a big milestone celebrator. But yeah, I think 2017 conceptually is like when I would pin it at. So around that time, you were talking to all your friends about wanting to write this book. And I just love the fact that it came out of a passion of not wanting someone else to mess it up. Do you have any idea of when we can expect that? Yeah, I'll give you the little spiel. So it's called The Third Person. It's going to be out from FSG. Right now it's scheduled for winter 2025. So like maybe January 2025, we'll see. Um, It's like weird because you're writing and then they're always moving the deadline depending on how fast you can write it. But it's for a general audience reader, whatever that means. So like it's not a gender studies book. It's not for academics. I noticed there was like a lot of books that are like memoirs from non-binary people. And then there's a lot of books that are like guides of like, give this to your parents so they know how to use pronouns. But there isn't anything that's like looking seriously at like, what is arguably a major cultural shift happening and kind of trying to historicize it, right? So like a lot of the way people talk about like non-binary identity is like, uh, this is like a new thing that's happening all of a sudden. And then like the backlash to that from trans people is always like, we've been here all along. And it's like, I think I'm like looking for this middle ground where it's like, yes, gender variance or gender diversity has existed all throughout history. But the particular categorization non-binary is like a very specific thing. It's not just saying that like people can be all different genders. It's like a particular way of like packaging identity and talking about it. So like what I wanted to do was like look back into history a little bit and say, okay, well, like what are all the people who are in this category? Like where have they been in other points in time? Were they butch lesbians? Were they like super effeminate gay men? Were they trans men? Were they trans women? Like kind of where were these people before? But then also kind of like what are like the political or cultural shifts that happened in order to like bring these people together under the specific category of non-binary. It's not the same thing as saying I'm genderqueer or I'm androgynous or I'm like femme or whatever. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of baggage associated with non-binary identity and like it's very much tied into like corporate diversity culture or like marketing schemes. It's like I wanted to kind of like give that some serious thought in a way that's both like trans affirming, but also sort of asking like big conceptual questions about like what types of problems does it raise for us as a community or like who does it affirm and who doesn't it affirm and like is this kind of like the way forward or not? So that's become a lot bigger of a project than I thought and I don't know if I have the answers, but it is coming along and hopefully I'll pull it off. We'll see. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to read it because I think these are also questions that as somebody who is not a member of the non-binary community as a trans woman, I've I mean I consider myself to have had like a non-binary phase at one point in my life, but everyone is trying to understand and find like points of reference for these concepts. Yeah, I think it's like a really it's kind of a bizarre category, right? Because it's like non-medically transitioning people, medically transitioning people, people coming at it from both directions, people passing through it in a temporary way. So it's like, for me, who essentially lives in the world as a white man 99% of the time, versus like someone else from any number of positions coming to non-binary, like our experience of the category and sort of like what it does and does not do for us is so different. And I don't think we quite have a good way of talking about that within the community or outside of it. So that's just been really interesting, like talking to people that have come at it from all the different directions about kind of like, what do you think you're getting out of this in sharing this category with all these other people who have essentially nothing in common with you? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. And I'll get to that a little bit, like when we talk about language and stuff like that and how language has evolved and how the word transsexual has reemerged for that reason. And yeah, we'll talk about it here in a second. But Let's talk more about the Instagram account, sexchange.tbt. What does the name mean? Just tell us about the name itself. 
I think like, and this is maybe tied in a little bit to like the resurgence of transsexual, but like, I feel like so many of us are like so exhausted by kind of like mainstream, you're so brave, like em- empowerment discourse. So I just thought it was a funny name because like, it, it feels so extreme and like inappropriate to be like, I got a sex change. And also it like kind of circ- like the sex change sort of circulates like on daytime TV talk shows in the 80s as like the most fringe thing a person can do. But also it's like today, normal people that just like shop at Target and get married and whatever. So I wanted to pick a name that kind of like was in conversation with that historical thing. And then I just put TBT on the end because I thought it would help people maybe understand that it was an archive account. Although I notice people share stuff and they'll get mad at it because they'll think it's like contemporary discourse. So uh, oh, wow. I, I don't know how effective <laughs> the name is, but I like it. That's funny. I mean, and I think that's the interesting thing about the page is that a lot of the posts do kind of mirror some of the contemporary discourse. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of it. And like I said up top, like you've through the page, you've introduced me to a lot of trans figures that I never heard of before and also reminded me of things that I had like long forgotten about. As somebody, I've been transitioning for more than 15 years and you've reminded me of things that like are from my past and my history where I was like, oh shit, I forgot about that. Hey listeners, we're going to go on our first break here. We'll be right back with more from Jamie Kalis. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So yeah, let's get into some of those posts that we like from the account. And I didn't categorize mine as well as yours, but maybe we can <laughs> kind of do this as we go. But yeah, we have some of the posts from the page that I thought you and I could talk about and just kind of give our our commentary on them. So the first one is one that you posted recently. Is this the Garfield? Yeah. So I guess, do you want me to back up and tell you a, a little bit about like where I find this stuff? Because I feel like yes, that's like a key yeah. thing. So like, there's this amazing website that I feel like everyone should know about because like, it looks like I'm doing a lot of work, but actually they've saved me a lot of time, which is Digital Trans Archive, which sort of like corrals all the trans materials from different collections. So like there's trans archives at New York University, there's trans archives at like USC and Digital Trans Archives like scans all the gender newsletter periodicals. So like between kind of like 
the 70s and like the serious dawn of the internet maybe in like 1996 like the main way that trans people talk to each other was through print newsletters which are all scanned on digital trans archives so like most of the work i'm doing is not like unearthing this stuff from a closet somewhere although i do do a little bit of that a lot of it is just like sitting down for 20 minutes and like reading something and like taking screen caps of what's interesting before we move on i want to say first just about digital trans archive because you have also introduced me to Digital Trans Archive. Next week, I'm interviewing Dallas Denny. So I've been, oh, nice. I've been, I've been reading all of like Aegis and Chrysalis and stuff like this and just being like mind blown. So thank you for introducing me to Digital Trans Archive. And if you haven't checked it out, please check it out. You could spend hours on that website just sifting through old posts and stuff. Okay. I'm so jealous you're talking to her. She's like, she's such a good writer. And I feel like like reading all this old stuff, it's like, it doesn't feel like homework because it's like people bitching about like whatever their problems were, which are like quite similar to our problems. So it's like, it doesn't actually take a lot to like get interested in it. She comes up in my book. I've kind of been meaning to try to talk to her. So you should. She's very prolific. So sorry. Let's talk about this Garfield post. Yeah, so this is kind of, this is like a post. I'll describe the post first. So it's a cartoon. It says, a TS's worst nightmare. And on one side, it has like a sort of plump and happy Garfield. And it says, before SRS. And then on the other side, it has a kind of ragged looking cat. And it says, after <laughs> Mangled. SRS. I, yeah, I think this cat is a famous cat. But I don't know. Oh. People in the comments are calling it Bill the Cat. But I've never heard of this cat. But I, this is like falls into like a bigger category of posts that I like from trans newsletters, which is like when they take a comic strip or a cartoon from a normal like mainstream newspaper and they change the text or sometimes they don't even change the text, but like they put it in a context that makes it trans. Right. So this is like it's very like shit posty contemporary feeling of like, oh, like we're looking at a thing that everyone else in society is looking at it, but like we're seeing it in a distinctly trans way. So like another one that I posted like on the account. like an early meme. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like sometimes like, like this other one that was actually the first post on the account, it's like a cartoon and it, it on the one hand it shows like a woman scrubbing the floor and it says, 10 years ago I was just another oppressed housewife. Today I'm a successful corporate executive accepted by my peers. Sure, it worked for me, but a sex change is not for everyone. Like this is just a normal comic that appeared in the paper, essentially making fun of people who get a sex change. But like if you put it in a trans newsletter, all of a sudden it becomes this like sort Empowering, of moment. Like- yeah. <laughs> So like I love stuff where it's like things taken out of context and like put into another context. And I think that stuff like for the most part plays pretty well on the account. There's like another one that I found that was like a Teletubbies fan site that was like, here's why all the different Teletubbies are trans. And I think people like do that a lot, right? Like you see that meme today where people will see like a kind of like short chubby man and a tall, beautiful woman. And they'll be like, it's T for T, it's T for T. And it's <laughs> Danny like, DeVito and like, yeah. I don't know, like Cameron Diaz. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's like we've been shitposting and memeing this whole time, basically. Yeah. But through like print newsletter and, and stuff like that and like these online like forums. It's it's amazing. Um, One that I have that kind of mirrors that it's not a comic, but it does mirror the advertisements of the day. It's the Aegis PSA, which is... Aegis is the American Educational Gender Informational Service. Used to be known, I discovered by looking through some archives, it was originally the Atlanta Educational Gender Informational Service. And Dallas, I guess, between the year of 1991 and 1992, changed it to American. So I thought that was interesting. So yeah, this one mirrors a car ad of the day. It says, before trading in your old equipment, go for a test drive first. And it goes on to talk about, you know, before you get a sex change, make sure that you have, you know, lived in your chosen gender for a time to, you know, make sure that you don't regret it, basically. And it says, don't be sorry, be sure. And then, you know, for more information, you can visit Aegis. And I just thought this was fascinating because it mirrors like car ads of the day of the 90s. But it's also like kind of an important informational, I don't know, uh, for the time, especially because Aegis's philosophy was all about depathologizing transsexualism and their philosophy was all about bodily autonomy, but make sure you know the risks and the benefits and things like that. So 
I love yeah, this. Yeah, I, I love the, how this went. It's funny because this like, did not do well on the account at all. I think because people hate the message of it, which is like, you have to do this real life test. But like, I think a lot of trans people in that time and like probably some even today are like, like pe- people in their time kind of were thinking about things in terms of like, what were the norms available to them, right? So like, it doesn't seem that far-fetched to me that like trans people would be like actually like the real life test is good but i just think it's so funny because it's like so like 80s guy car like it it sounds like it's like advertising a buick but it's like advertising a sex change which i just think is like that's the kind of stuff (laughs) i love when it's like you can kind of see the like print culture of the time being reflected in like the trans print culture at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, it does talk about the standards of care for the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Association, which I don't, we don't use the Harry Benjamin scale anymore. Basically informed consent is the way to go. But I think it's still something important to think about and talk about, you know, because we do have people that detransition and end up regretting having surgeries and things like that. And it's one of those things that I don't think gets talked about in a way that is like free of judgment, free of politics and things like that enough, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like this is maybe a controversial opinion, but I'm just like, I I mean, partly I hate the message of this ad because like, would it be the worst thing if you made a mistake and you changed your mind? Like, to me, that's like the ultimate in bodily autonomy is the opportunity to say like, wow, I've made a grave error and it doesn't end my life and it's not going to make me an outcast from society. I can just like revise my choice and move on with my life, right? Like the idea that like, if you end up being some type of like, not passing individual that it would like, necessarily ostracize you from society. I think that's just like an insane way to look at transition, right? I think of detransitioners very much as an ally, no matter how much society wants to like, frame them as the enemy of our people or something. Right? Yeah, no, I agree. But personally, I don't hate the messaging. I think People are still going to make the decisions they want to make, but it's like pause maybe for a, a, a minute and have a thought. I right. Don't know I feel like most people I know are like wrapped up in the anxiety of like, oh my God, like if I make this choice, like, like, like people will spend years mired in the decision. I know I did like years mired in kind of the questions about like, should I really do this or not? And it's like, it's, it's not like do or don't do. I feel like there's so many points at which you could back out and be like, this is actually not the right path for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the transphobic stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So this is another category of thing that like people don't like to consume, but that I'm obsessed with, which is like old transphobic mainstream culture garbage. So like, I love like Sally, Jesse, Raphael appearances where like trans people go on TV and like, like this is like a transcript from the talk show. I think it's Geraldo. And the title of the episode is Transsexual Regrets. Who's sorry now? And like, I just like this stuff because I guess there's two reasons. One, like sort of transphobic talk shows were like some of the main ways that future trans people came into contact with the idea of transness or like not the idea of it, but like the the actionability of transition, right? So like you're sitting in your town being like, I have these weird feelings, but I don't know what to do with them. And then like you see this horribly offensive TV show, but like you can pull out some kernel of it being like, oh, like this is the future that like could possibly exist for me. And like maybe there's a positive thing within that. But also I just like like these sort of artifacts of like vintage transphobia because like transphobia today is so like strategically organized in this top-down way from the right where like they have a playbook about like how we're going to mobilize people around these fears of like trans women in bathrooms or like our daughters being mutilated and having their breasts taken away by surgeons right like there's a very sort of like prefabricated playbook but like the transphobia of the past which still exists today like the same flavor but it's very like idiosyncratic right so like part of it is just like really prurient interest in like what's going on there and other parts of it are like this kind of like erotic fixation on like wow we're like attracted to trans women but also we like don't know what to do with that feeling but also we find it abject right it's like kind of all these different feelings that are tied up in this like way that's like not part of a right-wing political strategy it's just like people trying to cope with like exposure to what is to them a totally new phenomenon and i just find that like so interesting and like obviously offensive but like there's some like emotional distance from it where you can like see it to be like, wow, there like was a time in which like the type of transphobia that exists today that feels so like inescapable was actually like part of this sort of like broader question about like, how do we like integrate diversity of all kinds into society? Yeah. And I mean, 
they have, I mean, it's like a panel of like different people on here. They have some people regretting sex change. I have Kate Bornstein on here, which I find interesting. She's a lesbian transsexual in the program. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I'm I'm actually very curious to go back and like watch this and almost see what Kate Bornstein because I know Kate Bornstein is probably like extremely uncomfortable about all of this because, you know, basically what they're doing is they're pitting, you know, people who have detra- detransitioned, regretted having surgeries, which I agree, like that is kind of the pinnacle of bodily autonomy is to be able to have that ability to make that choice and then eventually regret it if that is the case. But yeah, you have people pitting detransitioners against a trans woman and one transsexual psychologist and one psychologist for transsexuals, which is a very obvious point they're trying to make there is that one is a trans woman. (laughs) Yeah, it's right. It's like they've gathered up people that are actually maybe on the same side of an argument, but they've put them as like the two opposing sides. But I wonder like if at the time, like, is Kate Bornstein interacting with these people as if they are the enemy. I don't think she would, but no. like, yeah. I'd be curious to see the episode and I haven't been able to track it down. Uh, yeah, I think what would be interesting to see is just how they're all dealing with like the narrative that's trying to be pushed by this, you know, by this episode. Yeah. And like when you go into like the archives of trans newsletters, like there's people talking a lot about like, okay, like, should we go on these talk shows or not? They're obviously trying to push a narrative. Like to what extent can we like use this as a way to do outreach? And like, there's a very like sort of in, in the 80s and early 90s, like it's the same like 25 people doing the talk show circuit and they're always like running into each other in elevators and being like, oh, you again, like good to see you. So it's like funny that it's like sort of a scene of like who were the public facing transsexuals at that time. And like they were refining their like talk show appearance skills. Yeah. And it's I mean, not too much different from today. Like today we have like the trans people who are like really visible and the ones that are like always out there on the forefront. But now with like social media and stuff like that, it's much easier for more trans people to be visible. I just think it's really interesting because even recently I saw a interview from, it was like Jubilee, which produces like these, they produce like these video interviews of, it was three detransitioners talking to three people who have transitioned and decided, you know, that that was right for them. And it's fascinating because that was released literally like last week. And then this transcript here is almost the exact same thing, but just like a different color of it from February 14th, Valentine's Day of 1989, which is (laughs) mind blowing. You know, I I would love to write something about detransitioners. I'm like, I'm obsessed with how they're like used by trans people. Yeah. Like I think it's, I, I, I mean, there's, I think there was a pretty recent story about, I forget the woman's name, but like she was a detransitioner and then she got kind of like mobilized by the right and then she retransitioned mm. and then kind of like has been, that's been her project exposing the right wing architecture. Well, it's kind of like the ex-gay movement of the, of the 90s. I think it mirrors that quite a bit in the sense that like you've got all these like outspoken anti-trans detransitioned and I'm not saying everyone who's detransitioned is like that, but, you know, those are the people that go on Tucker Carlson, go on, like, Fox News and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like there's, like, this weird thing, too, where it's, like, no one really seems to talk about the fact that, like, the vast majority of detransitioners, at least in my understanding and, like, from people I know, are people who still stay, like, trans or, like, queer. It's not people that, like, they detransition into, like, normie cis life. A lot of people just, like, go in one direction and then they say, actually, you know, like, uh, hormones aren't for me or I'm just I want more less gender hormones. Fluid or, or, yeah, yeah. Like, so it's like, I, I think like the, the argument has been framed totally wrong and it just really mobilizes this way to be like, oh, like this is a permanent choice that will ruin yeah. your life and ideology has affected these crazy people. And it's, I don't know, it's a load of bullshit. And maybe the ages, maybe the ages ad that we were looking at before is kind of a, the trans community's way of like trying to like protect from that. Okay, do we want to look at the next one? Do we want to look at this? Yeah, let's see. This Super Bowl commercial. Oh yeah, this was just another one kind of in the in the <gasps> oh, transphobic yes, category. <laughs> in the sense that I consumed this kind of shit as a <laughs> child and thought that this was what I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, so the commercial, I'll, I'll describe the premise. It's like a, a woman's coming home for her high school reunion mm-hmm. and she's like sort of a a early, she's like a mid nineties hottie, like yes. tight cheetah print dress, super nineties supermodel type. 
Yeah, like very sort of like statuesque, beautiful. Um, and she's like walking through her high school reunion. Everyone's checking her out. And then like she sees a guy and he's like, wait, who are you? I never forget a face. And then it's like Bob Johnson. And then she's kind of like, mm-hmm, like, good to see you, like a little bit flirty. And it's funny because like there's nothing outwardly transphobic about the commercial. Like it's like, oh, so she's a hot girl and her friend remembers her. And then she like kind of flirts with him. But like just the fact of someone being trans is supposed to be the thing that you're scandalized by. And it was an ad for Holiday Inn. And it compares sort of like the money you spend on your sex change with the amount of money that's been spent on Holiday Inn renovations. So I guess that's the transphobic thing. They released like a copy, like a, I guess like a brief description of it where it says in Holiday Inn's first Super Bowl appearance since 1986. So this was their first Super Bowl commercial in 11 years that they had made. And they decided the transsexual woman was like the perfect punchline for their commercial. Um, A transsexual's physical changes since high school are a metaphor for $1 billion in system-wide upgrades. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is bleak. Um... (laughs) Uh, I wonder, uh, do, this this actress, I wonder, is she trans or cis? She's probably cis, if I had to guess. I wonder but... how they, like, cast that. I mean, yeah. I, I, I would, the casting call, I'm sure, is awful. Well, I mean, like, for Felicity Huffman, Rebecca Romaine, I mean, you know, clocky cis allies have been, <laughs> have been portraying us for years. I say, like, as a trans woman, I used to watch those things as a kid, and be like, you know, that's me. Like, I used to, like, identify with that. And um, it's interesting because it does kind of, like, leave, like, scars on your psyche, almost. <laughs> like, just like these, uh, like, I've, t- I've talked about before how, like, one of the first things in, like, trans media I consumed was Silence of the Lambs as a kid. <laughs> Do you feel like now you can look back on this stuff and see it in like a kitsch or camp way? Or is it still oh, yes. a little bit like, oh, okay. So like it does sort of feel like formative. Yes. It does. It does. Like as I can acknowledge that it's transphobic. I can acknowledge that it's definitely problematic. And But I look back on it with like rose-colored glasses almost. Like I'm like, wow, this is fun. You know, like for me watching in 2023. Maybe at the time, if I was a trans woman at the time, yeah, I probably would have been pissed off. You know, I probably would have been like, wow, they made a fucking Super Bowl commercial with a trans woman as the punchline. But now I'm like, wow, you know, this is a moment in trans (laughs) culture. (laughs) But yeah, it's camp to me. It's just all fun and games. All right, listeners, we're going to go on our last break before we wrap up our conversation with Jamie Kalis. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great? At any age, every age. That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Okay, now this one, I'm excited to talk about this one because this one you posted recently. And this one is the inner community drama. So this one is from Tapestry, which is a, a it was sort of like the big trans magazine and it changed titles a lot, which I feel like you'll see reflected in the drama, but it was Tapestry. It was transgender, transsexual Tapestry. It was transvestite Tapestry. It was just TS Tapestry. Like it's been every different combination of trans. So this is a letter to the, it's two letters to the editor. And the first one is titled too much about transsexuals. And it's a person complaining that like, oh my God, the most recent issue, it had too much information for transsexuals. Like what about cross-dressers and like transvestites? And then the other letter is titled too much about cross-dressers. And it's someone who's a transsexual saying, oh my God, everything was about cross-dressers. There was nothing for transsexuals. So it's like kind of these two camps that like both read the same magazine jostling for like, who's the magazine actually for? Which like people loved this post, I think, because they're seeing a lot of like non-binary versus transsexual drama sort of within it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I lived for it. I was like, this is fucking incredible. And it was posted two days ago. It has 1,046 likes because so many people have resonated with this one because it really, really does echo what's going on today. Except I just wish they would cross dress. <laughs> <laughs> I wish yeah, they weird. would. I... <laughs> cross dresser has like sort of disappeared from yeah. the discourse as a category. And like, I don't really know, like, it's who... still. It there's has. Old, there's older cross dressers. Yeah. Like, there's people like in their 60s and 70s who cross dress, but like, yeah. Like, who do you see as, like, the analogs to cross-dressers? Femboys. Femboys. I was going to say, like... Femboys, gentrified sissy CDs. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because, like, I've been looking, like, I'm dying to, like, read some femboy discourse. And I think because, like, I'm coming from, like, trans guy social media, I'm not seeing it. But, like, is there, like, a corner of the internet where, like, trans women are doing femboy discourse? Uh, Yes, there is. Um, And I don't personally care about it. I'll be honest with you. I'm much more interested in going after the people who are not gender bending in the slightest and still waving around the trans flag like every day, all day. Because to me, it's like those are the cis people that are calling themselves trans that I'm just like, baby, you just have pronouns. That's not being trans. (laughs) But yes, there are trans women who are mad about femboys and I'm not one of them. Personally, I like it because I think we need to be encouraging this type of gender bendy activity that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody has to be non-binary or even has to be a trans woman, you know, like, why not? Yeah. I mean, I think that what gives people anxiety is like, it's like a category scarcity thing, right? Like there's, there's no problem with femboys. It's like, I think people start getting anxious when they're like, well, those people are like, someone's going to mistake me for being in the category that they're in. Or like, these people are just like not realized versions of what I am or vice versa. Right. And people start arguing over real estate when really it's like, I mean, I think what's nice about femboys is like, they've cordoned off their own category and they're not like, they, they seem sort of like averse to identity politics stuff. And they're very much just like, we want to have Twitch streams and like, that's kind of the extent of it. So I sort of love them. But like, yeah, they don't seem really like jostling to be in the trans community at all. They don't. Yeah. But the trans women love to come after them. I think cross-dressers, it's like a little more complicated, right? Because like a lot of cross-dressing organizations like in the mid 20th century to late 20th century, a, a substantial number of those people became trans women eventually. So then like they're already sharing kind of like the same institutional space, but like it's a little bit different in the present, right? Because like fe- like it's very easy for a community to like go off and have their own corner of the internet and like not be part of the same newsletter and like have to argue over like who owns it. Yeah. And, and so this is an interesting little like relic of the past that wouldn't really make sense in like today's context. Because yeah, people would just go find a new subreddit or something like that. 
But yeah, there's a lot to be said about like cross-dressers becoming trans women and stuff like that. But that's a whole other conversation. Okay, let's look at some of the... So, and this relates to a lot of your research recently for FTM gatherings and things like that. Yeah, so like a lot of... And I don't think I necessarily expected my research to lead me here, but like I became really interested in genderqueer because like that was the first category that I had exposure to that like was neither what was called at the time like FTM or MTF, right? And there was sort of like genderqueer, which was this other category. And my book has like a whole chapter kind of getting into like, okay, like to what extent is this the same as non-binary and to what extent is it different? But like at the same time as genderqueer and like predating it a little bit, there was all these other categories that were like circulating in FTM spaces, mostly white FTM spaces. Like uh, one of the big categories was tranny fag, right? So like I was trying to figure out like, I mean, obviously it's like pretty self-evident what it is, right? It's like a gay trans man, but like it's not quite, right? Because there was all these like before we had sort of like intermediary categories to describe people that were like, going in one direction, but maybe not going all the way to becoming like a man or a woman. There was like all these ways that like FTM guys were like softening sort of like their relationship to manhood, right? So like people were identifying as like a trans boy or just a boy or like all these kind of different ones that were circulating. And one of them that I found a lot in the archive was tranny fag or trans fag. And this kind of like existed before the big community tranny gate, like it's a racialized category, we maybe shouldn't use it. And there was lots of sort of like young trans guys in their 20s, identifying as tranny fags. And there was a huge AOL email list that like, was one of the central FTM sort of like communication networks. And like, not even all these guys were gay necessarily, but it was like, sort of a category that like you could put on FTM to either like, soften the sort of manness of it or like mark it as a distinctly queer masculinity or kind of like make it somehow seem like more subversive in a way right because a lot of people came into like ftm culture in the 90s with a lot of anxieties about like like feminist concerns about like okay well like i don't want to be like a man in the way that man exists today i want to be a man in the way i want to be a man so like i'm obsessed with like archival things that document these like bizarre little categories that have died out and let's talk about, because the bizarro little category has definitely, the name for it has died out, but I think it exists still within trans mask culture. Even just, you know, in this, I definitely want your perspective on this is my, these are my observations as a trans woman, but my observations as a trans woman are that there are a lot of people on the masculine spectrum of transness that are conflicted still about associating with maleness and masculinity. And that's where I find like, I see, I, I personally see more trans masculine people using the term trans mask. I very rarely see trans women using the term trans femme because we don't have any like reservations, I guess, about the word woman. It's it's fraught, right? Because yeah, I, like I don't love, I think I like the categories trans mask and trans femme as like, if you're looking to talk to like a specific broad constituency of people, right? Right. But like personally, I don't, I did like, so I would say tra- I'm going to talk to trans femme people or like the other day I was looking to talk to like medically transitioning trans femme people, right? So like that could be someone non-binary or a trans woman. So like it's good for like drawing these big categories, but like I don't identify as like trans mask personally. I mean, I know a lot of people do. I think it's like, it's obviously a category that I'm in, but like, I think because I was once a woman, I don't see woman as an inherently virtuous category. And I also don't see man as an inherently immoral category. But also like we're a lot deeper into sort of like many more waves of feminism since the wave of the 90s, right? So like in the 90s, we were like still in sort of like the the end of like lesbian separatism and like sort of all these anxieties about like who's really a woman, right? Or what are the right ways to be a gay woman? Whereas now I feel like we've had like third wave feminism and sort of we've had like, it's like normal for a man to be a feminist, So like, I think personally, I don't have a lot of discomfort about the idea of being a man, but also like, I love men. So like, I'm not like, I I don't have a lot of hangups about it, but like, I I don't know. It's like, it's hard to like condemn other people for like having these sort of like fraught relationships to it because like none of the gender positions are like great. Right. No, I agree. And I'm not necessarily condemning, but I just notice that sometimes those people tend to also hold views that may be like kind of trans misogynistic because they see people still as like a bioessential view of like 
male and female, even though they're using trans language. Does that make sense? Uh, have you ever seen the Instagram account Worst of Lex? Yeah, it's funny. I just followed it this morning. It's such a good account. It's a good example of what we're talking about, too. Yeah. And it's weird because like, I do think there's like degrees of this, right? Like there's people that are like a very like AFAB core where they're like, I accept any gender and I put it all under the umbrella of AFAB and it's like kind of transphobic in a way. But then there's also just people that are like, I like everyone to the right of man. So it's like, it could be a trans woman, it could be a non-binary person, but like, uh, fuck this man. Right. And like, I'm just like very opposed to this thing that like, seems to purport that like trans people have some inherently more enlightened relationship to gender. Right. So like, I know lots of trans women that are like total idiots about gender. And I know lots of trans men that are idiots about gender. And I know lots of cis men that are enlightened in some way that I find like politically respectable. So to me, it's like patriarchy is the enemy, not like men or like male socialization or like whatever you want to call this, like sort of like category that people mobilize in this like annoying way. Male socialization, my favorite. (laughs) <laughs> my favorite uh, dog whistle that they love to Ugh. say, which is basically like, just call me a tranny, okay? Like, right, yeah. right. It's like, say what you mean. <laughs> right, say what you mean. Penis wielder, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for getting into the discourse with me on that a little bit. And I agree, like, it is silly. And I personally have seen lately in the trans community that I feel like there are certain trans activists that are almost trying to like, present transness as like the morally right way to be. And I don't personally agree with that. I just think it is just a way of being. I don't think cis is any better. I don't think trans is any better. I don't think non-binary is any better. I just think we are. Right. And I think it's funny because it's like people forget that like trans people just start off as people. I don't know. And like this is like like one of my big sort of like drama viewpoints. It's like I'm really skeptical of like T for T as an ethos. Like I love trans people dating each other, but like uh, my my friend Asa Sarenson, he's a writer, he calls like sort of like T for T as a politic, like the it's the queer of trans, right? Like people that think of it as like, if you're T for T, it's like somehow the more enlightened position. Like I think anyone should date anyone. And like, if you're in a loving relationship, that's great. And like, I think it is nice when trans people date each other or like two non-binary people date each other or whatever. But it's like, I don't know, you see it like circulating as this like enlightened political position. And like, I'm just very skeptical because like, I've even seen like trans men and trans women date each other and sort of treat each other like shit. So oh, like, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, it's just another relationship. Like, I don't know. Like, I think love can be like very political, but like, I also don't think it is inherently so like a lot of sort of like desire is tangled up in like all these fraught things that are like not necessarily like virtuous. Right, right. Okay, let's look at um, I had a couple other ones that I wanted to look at. Okay, this one is problematic. And there were things I hated about this one. There were things I liked about this one. The 10 steps to being a successful transsexual, um, which (laughs) I thought some of it was hilarious. Some of it I hated. But first of all, I love the image. It says, take a walk on the stupid side instead of the wild side. And it's a trans, presumably an angry, pissed off trans woman wearing a Blue Cross Sucks t-shirt and like, you know, blowing, uh, I don't know, making making raspberries. Yeah. (laughs) And it says, be the obnoxious crybaby you always wanted to be. (laughs) Yeah. So this is from 20 Minutes, which is an amazing newsletter. I forget who the author is, but like this newsletter is like always running sort of like drama, like like they're always like saying what they what other people don't want to hear and then like people write in and they're mad and it's like it provides a lot of great content but this is like a list of 10 steps to a successful transition do you want to do you want to yeah, pick your favorite some of them <laughs> yeah okay so i liked the first one just because i do know some trans women with some ridiculous fucking names and it has nothing to do with passing or anything like that but i'm just like Great. Another trans woman with a crazy name. Um, <laughs> but if you're if you're really tall, muscular, and overly male appearing, damn, just call me a brick. Don't pick a frilly, fussy name like Felicia or Betsy Ann, which I just I just thought was hilarious. This third one was a good one. It says, do everything you can to ensure success, but be prepared to deal with rejection. Getting all bit out of shape if you get red is counterproductive. So like when they say, if you get red, getting clocked. If somebody sees you, clocks you, just let it roll off your back, baby. Water off a duck's back. Honestly, the best way to deal with it as a trans person usually. 
I feel like it's great advice, but like easier said than done too. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's great advice. Easier said than done. I've certainly gone off on people before. I like number four because this is just no matter if you're trans or cis, this is true. Like no matter who you are, this is true. Um, Don't force yourself down people's throat. Just as you have every right to be who you are, the rest of the world has every right not to like you. And at a certain point, mm, I disagree with that because obviously, you know, they don't have the right to like take away my rights, but they don't have to like me. Then there's like some respectability politics in here. I think it's funny because it's like this is written as a list of someone being like, here's how you should be. But it's also very clearly this person working through like whatever their own anxieties about like sort of like the public face of trans people in America are, which is what so much internet discourse about like someone being like, here's the way you should treat trans people. It's like, oh, this is actually just like you wanting to say how you want to be treated, which I think is very like, that's why I always try to take it with like a grain of salt when I see people doing these like sort of insane threads on Twitter about like, here's all the things you need to know about trans people. And I'll be like, actually, like I don't agree with this. And I'll be like, oh, right. This is like for this person's own edification. It's not necessarily a declarative statement of truth. Yeah. And it's interesting to look at those kind of posts through that lens, because I think that's very true. Um, And then, of course, just the last thing I like about your page are the trans homepages that you've shared. It's trans homepages. These are just different screenshots that you took, I'm assuming, like on the Wayback Machine. And one of them is reasons to cherish being a transsexual. I read this sometimes for my own betterment and to uplift myself. It says, because being transsexual is often so hurtful, so filled with sadness and longing, with shame and loss and difficulty, it is easy to come to the conclusion that the whole thing is utterly a curse, perhaps inflicted by arcane and evil ancient gods. Oh, probably. But there is an upside too. Most human lives are utterly mundane, devoid of any real uniqueness, and the average person sublimates through an existence devoted to filling the roles expected of them. Oh, <laughs> Then there's like the FTM pride ring. Then you have the trans teen hangout. It's <laughs> all of these different homepages I loved. Different like trans teens talking about like looking for other people to connect with. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. A, a big chunk of my book is about sort of like AOL homepages. And there's a really good book coming out called uh, The Two Revolutions that... I think the subtitle is The Transgender Internet. It's by Avery Dame Griff. And he writes a lot about like kind of like how homepages and geocities were sort of some of like the first open-ended places like where trans people could document their experience, right? It's like you had the trans memoir before that, but it was very sort of like this linear narrative of like realizing you're trans, suffering, transitioning, then the book ends. Or you had sort of like these talk show appearances, but like on homepages, people could kind of like organize their experience in these really chaotic ways, right? So like you could have like yourself dressed in your women's clothes, but you could also have men's clothes, but you could also have like stuff about like how you like to watch baseball, right? So like it was like a way to bring together kind of like all the different parts of a person in a way that was like a lot more holistic than anything that had existed before. But I also just love them because they're like, I mean, also it's like some of the first time you see like young people really be part of transmedia, right? Because like kids don't have addresses to receive like a trans newsletter. So like you start seeing like 19 year olds or like 17 year olds making these kind of websites and they're very sort of like comic sans, like bad HTML, like selfies on like a grainy camera. I I just love this stuff. And this is like, I feel like people love to see this on the account because like they remember kernels of it from being much younger. Yeah, when you shared, I think you've shared screenshots before of Susan's Place which was one of my first ever websites that I ventured to learn about myself. Um, And that just like took instantly took me back. But yeah, it's a great Instagram account. Thank you so much for sharing those posts with us. Before we close out the episode, I've been talking to a lot of my guests about this. I've had Julia Serrano on recently. I've had Calpurnia Adams on recently. I've had a bunch of like trans elders on recently. And we've been talking about the euphemism treadmill, the activist language carousel, whatever you want to call it. And on the podcast, we don't really, we just use whatever language that we want to use to describe the trans experience. What are your thoughts as you've been writing your book, as you've been going through these archives on the evolution of language in our community? Yeah, I mean, it's something I now spend probably 90% of my time thinking about just like on a personal level, I started writing this book very much identifying as non-binary and kind of as I've like sorted out what that category is, like I go back and forth on a day-to-day basis of like, am I in this pool of people? Am I not? 
uh, something also I've been really delighted by is like the resurgence of transsexual and thinking about that because when I interview older people, they're always sort of like scandalized or delighted in this like funny way. Um, and I think people like it a lot because like, I mean, I think there's a camp of people that like it because it like delineates them from non-binary people as like we are sort of like medically transitioning people that have a distinct experience. But then also there's people that just like it because it feels so like scandalous in comparison to sort of like liberal inclusivity discourse to be like, I'm a transsexual and you can't say that because you're not trans. And uh, so that's been really fun to kind of track. But like on a, I, I don't know, I think like on a personal level, I'm a lot less concerned with sort of like identity terminology. And I've started to frame it a little bit more around questions of like desire and solidarity, right? So like the first question would be like, well, what do I want, right? Like, what are my specific desires for myself? And like, those don't have to really square with categories. And then sort of like, who are my people, right? And like, who am I in solidarity with? So like, when I think about myself, like, I don't know, I'm like a worker and a communist before I'm trans, right? So like my solidarity is with like working people or like my solidarities are like against capitalism. And like, there are plenty of trans people who I would like not think of myself necessarily as in solidarity with. And like those things sort of transcend identity categories a lot for me. I don't know. I think trans just like as a big umbrella is good because like it's confusing. So it's like, like, I don't know. I think like my, my girlfriend is a non-transitioning non-binary person. And like, we have really different experiences. Right. And like, I think a lot about like, okay, well, like, are we a T for T couple? No, but we're also not a trans for cis couple. So it's like, I think a lot of times like categories sort of fail to describe like what what sort of the dynamics between people are. And I think it's a lot better sometimes to just say like, okay, well, who are we actually talking about here? Like, who are we addressing? What do these groups have in common? What don't they have in common? And like, uh, that just demands like a much more robust discourse than I think we have on the mainstream right now. But I don't know, I, I kind of have I faith we're going to get there because like, what's the alternative? We never get there and we just like have hair splitting arguments forever. <laughs> right. Uh, until the end of time. Yeah, I think usually when I talk to trans elders about the resurgence of the word transsexual, they're surprised because they're afraid to use the word transsexual because, you know, for the past, I don't know how long, it's been beaten in their heads that like, that's like not the word anymore. And now people are using it again to talk about our specific experiences. I like it for both reasons, to be able to talk about my specific experience and also because it is a more scandalous it's a less marketable term. It's a less, you know, uh, it's it's just, it just, I just like it um, for those reasons. I think it's so, like, when I scan through all the accounts that I follow from the account, because I'll follow back, like, I don't know, anyone that seems kind of interesting or, like, when I'm in the mood to follow people. And, like, I think it's just so funny. Like, I follow, there's, like, probably 200 accounts that are, like, T.S. Britney Spears, T.S. whatever, right? Like, I feel like everyone like wants to attach it to sort of like, it's like a way to make a normal pop culture thing trans. So like, I, I that always makes me laugh. Like some of the accounts, like if you scroll through who, who I'm following, like it's just some of the best, most insane usernames ever. It's like, it's just, I don't know. I, I like, the, like being in the archive has made me a lot more sympathetic to people in the present, but then also scrolling through the feed of the account makes me be like, I hate every trans person who's not me, but also I love all of them. And like, I think it, it, it's like a very, it's been a lot of fun and I'm, I'm just learning so much. And a lot of times people comment and they know a lot more than me, which is really cool. I love the account. Thank you for following me. Thank you for finding me interesting enough. And so compelling, eminently compelling. <laughs> Aw, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, Jamie, would you like to give us your socials and any other places people can find you? Yeah, so you can just follow the account at sexchange.tbt on Instagram. That'll kind of connect you to, to all my other things. I got Instagram, I got Substack. If you can stand to open the New York Times, I'm in there a lot. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's about it. I'm, I'm all over the internet. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Jamie. It was, it was wonderful to meet talking you. with you. Yeah, so good to, to chat. Yeah, right. I had a lot of fun. All right, listeners, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Beauty Translated. I hope you'll enjoy, as we are wrapping up this season, the next few episodes I have planned for us. We spoke with Jamie about our trans history, and next week, I'm going to be speaking with a woman who actually was creating the history. Her name is Dallas Denny. She is the woman behind Chrysalis Magazines and TS TV Tapestry, which were trans publications of the 80s and 90s. 
long before we had internet to be able to learn about the trans experience. So stay tuned for next week's episode. I hope you'll enjoy it as we close out this Pride Month. We're going to be extending our Pride Month programming into the month of July because we celebrate Pride here at Beauty Translated Podcast 365 days a year, not just during the month of June. So I hope you'll enjoy our Pride programming that we have coming up in the month of July. Stay beautiful. Bye. Beauty Translated is hosted by me, Carmen Laurent, and produced by Kurt Guerin and Jessica Kreinchich, with production assistance from Jennifer Bassett. Special thanks to Allie Perry and Allie Cantor for their support. Our theme song is composed by Aaron Kaufman. Beauty Translated is proud to be part of the Outspoken Network from iHeart Podcasts. For more iHeart Podcasts, listen on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.